Hello, folks. Pull up a chair and join us on this adventure we call the Good Judgment Podcast. The episode notes for this incredibly entertaining and informative episode that you are about to consume are available at goodjudgepod.com. That's goodjudgepod.com. Hello, folks. Welcome to episode number four of our DUI series here on the Good Judgment Podcast. I'm Wade Patchett. And I'm Tane Kell. And we want to welcome our FOP, friend of the podcast, and guest host, Judge Ben Stuttered. Welcome back, Ben. Wow. Guest host, not only friend of the podcast, but guest host. You've been elevated. I'm living large. Yeah, it's Garen's jealous. Garen is so jealous. It's going to be a We're going to hear from his lawyer. In episode, he is a lawyer. In episode number one of this series, we discussed the relevant statute, the elements of proof, and the penalties relating to DUI. In episode two, we discussed the recent changes in DUI law and the impact those cases have had on the relevant statute. And in episode three, while I played Candy Crush, you two discussed the implied consent law and the concept of actual consent. Honestly, if you missed episodes one, two, or three of this DUI series, you're going to be completely lost unless you listen to them first. So, Judge Stuttered, tell the folks what we're discussing today. So today, Tane, we're going to discuss state-administered testing in the aftermath of the decisions in Olovic and Elliott. We're also going to spend some time discussing Field sobriety tests. Oh, that's awesome. Those are the greatest videos ever, the they field are. sobriety tests. So, yeah, you know what? I could really get used to this third wheel thing. Nice job, Judge Stutter. Yeah, this this guest host stuff, this is, this is pretty cool. You're getting it. paid the same amount you were before. Uh, that's right. <laughs> no. Snap. We have seriously discussed a number of topics relating to DUI law in these prior episodes. And if you missed those, frankly, we're going to use some some shorthand and phrases that you really won't understand unless you've listened to them. So please check those out. Um, if you need any uh, of the podcast episode notes, please go to goodjudgepod.com and you can get them at your leisure. So Tane, state administered testing law, okay? We're going to, that, that, these are my phrases and people may not follow them, but, but there's pre-test, pre-arrest test, excuse me. Right. And then post-arrest test. Right. So when, we're, when we are discussing pre-arrest testing, we're actually referring to field sobriety tests and the screening tests that officers use to determine whether the defendant is actually under the influence. Right. Post-arrest testing is, is a phase that, that basically you're talking about breath tests, urine tests, blood tests, the one that comes after the implied consent warning. Right. The one, now, how many of those have you done? Uh, zero. Totally uh, zero. Yeah, that's hard to believe. But I, I will—that's a blind you hog. I, I was doing it. I was doing a, a ride along with a friend of mine, oh, who yeah. you know, who's yeah, who, yeah. who, who is now a retired police officer, and and just to entertain me, he put a guy in the back seat of his car who was clearly somewhat intoxicated, and he said, "I'm just going to give you a quick test uh, to." you know, determine whether you're, uh, over the, you know, legal limit or intoxicated. He said, I, uh, need you to say the alphabet, but back- don't sing it. No, he said, say the alphabet backwards, skipping every third letter. You have 10 seconds. Go. <laughs> <laughs> I will not, I will not, uh, repeat the expletive that the guy said, but he said, I can't do that. <laughs> and my buddy said, I can't do it either. Don't worry about it. <laughs> so, um, we do need now, Tane. This is something that we're gonna, you and I are gonna have to spend some time, probably Professor Millich on on the podcast. Mm-hmm. This new evidence law that became effective July 1, 2022, with yeah. the passage of House, House Bill, Bill 478. 478. 
Um, I promise y'all we are going to record a few episodes on this important change in the law in the coming weeks. We just wanted to ensure everyone knows that the change happened first and how it may well impact some of the evidence presentation relating to DUI law. Tell the people about prior to July 1 what the law was. Yeah, so prior to July 1 of this year, the relevant standard for admitting expert testimony on any subject in a criminal case was referred to as what we called the Harper Standard. It was based on a Harper case that was uh, had been in Georgia law for quite some time. Um, and it was codified at OCGA Section 24-7-707. That standard applicable in criminal cases was different than the standard that applied in civil cases under uh, uh, Evidence Rule 702. The applicable standard in civil cases was what we generally refer to as the Daubert standard, and it requires some uh, pretrial determinations and usually hearings and those kinds of things. House Bill 478 repealed Rule 707 and modified Rule 702 to basically establish that the same standard, that Daubert standard that we call it, um, is the relevant standard for the admission of expert testimony in all cases, criminal and civil. Uh, and so... That case law is going to have to pan out a little bit, and we're also yeah, going to procedurally I mean, we can... have to see how that works out. But I, I will say this: you know, one of our uh, one of the Supreme Court justices I was talking to about this as it was kind of winding its way through the legislature said, "You know, look, we understand this is going to be more cumbersome, um, but that shouldn't be the deciding factor as to whether or not we have a, di- a difference in civil standards and criminal standards." Well, so. and and Tane. Timing is everything, right? I mean, it would it would have been nice if we didn't if we weren't coming off of a COVID pandemic, but we are. Right. But the decision has been made, so we could debate over uh, some beverages whether or not it should have changed and when it should have changed and why did it change. But it really doesn't do us any good. It changed. Yeah, it's here, and and so we need to uh, first of all, some of us get, need to get a lot more familiar with the Daubert standard and and how that's administered. Because if you haven't tried, if you've been doing criminal law all this time and you haven't tried a case under Daubert, um, there's a world of difference in uh, how you admit. And it's the testimony. phrasing as much as anything. It is. But but now, and here's the, the other thing too. We were told when the evidence statute changed in 13 effective 13 i guess that we should look to 11th circuit law for any um binding precedent right Right. now if you want to find something you know if you just wanted to waste a few days go find some federal case law on duis pure duis there's not a whole lot in the 11th circuit because they don't try a lot of dui cases in federal court that get appealed yeah now, there, are, there is a wonderful case, a very helpful case out of California called Wynn, and it's cited in the outline. At goodjudgepod.com. Correct. That it, a lot of other circuits have, have cited with approval, but we don't have 11th Circuit case law. Now, right. if, you want to, if you think there's not many DUI cases, go get a speeding case <laughs> out of the 11th Circuit that's decided the admissibility of some of the um, expert testimony relative to speed. Good luck with that. Yeah. So we're going to have to borrow other states, and we're going to have to get some appellate case law churned up here. You want to talk some about Daubert? Yeah, well, so Daubert basically requires uh, analysis asking three questions. Uh, is the evidence relevant? Is the evidence reliable? And is the witness qualified? And a lot of the 
uh, litigation on the civil side of things tends to focus on the qualifications of the witness. Is this particular witness really an expert in what he or she is talking about? But I suspect on the criminal side of things, uh, the focus is really going to be on going back and examining whether things like HGN, other field sobriety evaluations, the ALCA sensor, ALCA intoxilizer, are they reliable? Uh, and uh, it's not, the, the state's not going to be required to present experts on each of those subjects in every case from here out. Uh, they're simply going to have to establish uh, enough in a few cases up front uh, that other courts can start to take judicial notice of that. But there is going to be a period of time where they're going to need to present some evidence on those things. Absolutely. We're going to get a lot more uh, foundational questions. So, Tane, are you serious you've never done field sobriety tests? No. Not even at a thing, like a seminar or something? No, I've never, never done that. I mean, All right. So, Tane, there is a difference between, and you hung up on this uh, episode ago, so here we are answering your hang-up thing. Thank you. There's a difference between a field sobriety test and a standardized field sobriety test, and the difference is important that mm -hmm. we need to talk about. Okay. So, let's say, Tane, that uh, our friend pulled you over for DUI, and got you out of the car, he smelled some alcohol, got you out of the car, got you standing in front of his car so we could get the video right on you and said, okay, sir, here is a rope. I'd like for you to jump it. Now, that would, it is probably hard for people who are drinking to jump rope. Yes. True? True, but it's easy for them to sing the little songs that go along with the jump rope. Like the double Dutch bus? <laughs> yeah, so. exactly, yeah. Yeah, as long as you sing as you do it. Exactly, it's like the alphabet. If you sing that song... So... He wants you to jump it for 30 seconds, and, and th there's Without all kind singing. of reasons people might not be able to jump rope, right? Right. They, they could have a broken leg. They could be name. old. They, I mean, they could be anything, right? Uncoordination. The fact that you're intoxicated may also make it, make it difficult to jump rope, mm -hmm. right? The, 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 thing, it, the, the thing that makes it not a field sobriety test, not a standardized field sobriety test, is because there's no evidence that it is necessarily harder because you are drinking that may be true, but that doesn't help you in the analysis of are, how, to what level are you intoxicated. There are any number of reasons that person might not be able to jump rope. And, and being under the influence is only one of a zillion. So to make it a standardized field sobriety test, there must be some relationship to that level of intoxication question. And that test that we're talking about has to have been proven with data and testing to be reliable and to be a reliable indicator of intoxication. So, Tane, SFSTs have been approved by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Your NHTSA. friends, NHTSA. NHTSA. That's right. Because of several field, valida field validation studies uh, conducted across the country. There's one in Colorado, there's one in San Diego, there's one in Florida. All of that information, if you're just really into all that, that's in the, the outline, what year, and all that stuff. But basically what they all came up with is they did multiple fields of field, excuse me, a different number of different validation studies of these field sobriety tests to make them standardized because they realized that no single test is 100% reliable as to your level of intoxication. But the combination of all the tests, the three that have widely been, I guess four if you calculate an alkyl sensor, they all seem, if they all point in the same direction, the, a conclusion can be drawn that you are probably under the influence. Now, there are some people, Tane, that will try to tell you 
that means you are 08 or you're 10 or you're 12 <laughs> or you're 13. That's not admissible. And our Supreme Court has said, no, no, we're not, we're not buying any of that. That seems a little bit hocus pocus. Are you, does that give you probable cause to go test? Probably. Does that mean that you can prove that person's a 13 and a half? Probably not. You're not going to get a per se DUI conviction based on performance from field sobriety evaluations. And uh, many judges are not going to admit that into evidence. They, it's just not, I mean, I understand that more likely than not, if whether you've drank a lot or whether you drink a little or you're big or you're little, you're, a certain clues would, would give proof that you are under the influence more than 10, more than 12. That's not the question. Right. Now, Tane, when we talk about those clues from those field sobriety tests, tell the folks a little bit about the clues. Yeah, what, sure. what is it? What are they, clue of what? Blues clues. Blues clues. Uh, yeah. the, the clues in this context really mean that the officer found that the suspect didn't perform the test as he or she was told, and it's evidence that the person was under the influence of intoxicants. They're, they're clues that the defendant is intoxicated. So for clarity... There are some who argue that the presence of cer a certain number of clues means that the defendant has a blood alcohol of X, like you were talking about a minute ago. But the Georgia law is clear that that's, that's not something that can be proved simply by these clues or these cues that, get, that are given to us by their inability to perform the test. But what we can show is that instead the officer can testify that the number of clues observed, uh, it, they can talk about how many of them they observed to give an indicator of whether or not the person was under the influence. SFSTs are just initial screening devices that the officer uses to determine if there is probable cause to believe the defendant is DUI. Now, there's no requirement that the defendant be advised of the implied consent warnings before an ALCA sensor test is given. Tane, you talked a minute, a minute about, uh, a, while, a while ago about the difference between the intoxilizer and the, and the Alka sensor, just so that people understand. The Alka sensor is the handheld one? Yeah, the Alka sensor is, is, is a small handheld device usually used on the side of the roadway by the officer just to have someone blow into, and it gives, again, an indication of what their blood alcohol content might be, but not to a degree of certainty such that you could use it as, you know, oh, well, they were 0.08 or 0.09 or And 0 if you 10. want to tell the people about the numeric readings from an Alka sensor? Yeah, the, the Alka sensor device does give a numeric reading. However, the case law is very clear that the device has not been authorized uh, for admission into evidence of that numeric reading. It's just pass-fail. Sometimes defendants want to ask for that to come in. Or sometimes you'll get a, a question from a jury that says, what was the reading on the Alka sensor? And uh, that is not fair game, cannot come in. I think it's also worth pointing out the way that not only is the implied consent warning not required before an Alka sensor or other field sobriety evaluations, but also uh, Miranda is not required before an Alka sensor. You know, I debated when we were coming up with this program whether we should do an episode on Miranda, and I was like, oh, I don't really want to do that because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that opens a whole nother can. Yeah. Um, the case law has just recently, I mean, just recently come out to be pretty clear that you don't have to read Miranda in, right. in advance of implied consent warnings, but that's always something we hear or frequently something. We yeah, hear. and that, it used to be case law that said if you did field sobriety evaluations yep. after arrest, yep. then you needed to do Miranda. But since Olivic and Elliot, they've come out and said, no, there's no Miranda that applies here, and uh, we, ain't make, we ain't writing one. Exactly. Folks, we need to pause now for an important announcement. 
Folks, this is Wade and Tane, and you're listening to the Good Judgment Podcast on the World Wide Web. As always, you can find our outlines for these podcasts, as well as supplemental materials on our website at goodjudgepod.com. We'd love to have your feedback about the podcasts at our email at goodjudgepod at gmail.com, and we're always looking for suggested podcast topics. Feel free to submit your suggestions to us at goodjudgepod at gmail.com. Operators are standing by. And remember, if you like what you're hearing, don't forget to like us and follow us on your favorite podcasting platform. And tell all your friends. Thanks. And now back to our studio audience. Let's talk about some of the actual tests. Okay. That, so let's yeah. talk about the tests. Now, to be, to be standardized tests, yeah. Tane, they've got to be administered the way that NHTSA approved them or, right. or and, val- and, made them valid. And they prescribe a certain uh, routine that you need to go through with respect to each of the tests in order to validate them. So the first two, in an interesting sidelight, I don't think that Daubert's going to impact the first two. The walk and turn's the first one, Tane. And and so since it's never happened to you, allegedly, right. you understand that, that the defendant's asked to basically walk down an imaginary line, turn a specific way, walk back, heel to toe, nine steps, don't wivel, lots of instructions, right? Yes, right. They call it a divided attention test in that it requires both mental and physical components. And I have heard a whole lot of people, usually at bars, say, I couldn't do that completely sober. If you actually, oh, I've heard that in many closing arguments. Oh yeah, <laughs> and they'll and they'll like you know wiggle wobble around. And yeah, the counsel yeah tries to do the struggles to do the walk and turn in closing argument, and it, knowing good and well that what he's doing is as soon as the jury goes back in the jury room, they're going to try to do it. Sure, hundred percent. The 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 difference is that they don't have alcohol on their breasts. They, right. they weren't driving this certain way or have a wreck or whatever. Right. right. Anyway. During the walk and turn, we're looking for those clues that the defendant can't maintain balance, starts to test too soon, stops while walking, misses the heel to toe, steps off this imaginary line or actual line, raises the arm for balance, turns improperly, and there's an incorrect number of steps. Those are the eight clues. You will frequently hear an officer, if they are body mic'd, miss heel to toe. They'll, they'll say, miss heel to toe. And you can hear something, but you're not really clear until you turn it up. They're whispering into the mic so they can document as it's happening yeah. what's happening, what the, the clues they've noticed. I saw a really great video on YouTube one time of someone who was asked to do the walk and turn, and instead they did this awesome dance routine. I saw that. <laughs> they ended up in a cartwheel or something? It, it ended in a cartwheel. Yeah, I mean, I mean they very, go, man, that was very, great. Put very, your hands behind your back. Yeah. <laughs> a very crash, uh, car, car crash uh, cartwheel, uh, though. It was not pretty. Yeah, it was kind of ugly. Um, basically... Don't ever forget, the officers can always say, hey, stop this if it looks like the person's about to hurt themselves. Right. You, I've seen some people face plant oh, in, yeah. in some, it was ugly. Um, the walk and turn is one of those that has been said in Dalbert land. It is not subject to an expert opinion. It is not a scientific test. It is an observation of the manifestations of alcohol. It's under Rule 701. A layperson can give opinion about things that are just obviously true. A common sense evaluation of balance and motor skills. Man, I'm so glad. I mean, Nailed You're it. like a, a TV, a movie like voiceover guy. Yeah, it's really awesome. Like what they get Guess Morgan Freeman to do in almost Morgan every Freeman. Um, I, is it, have you ever been... 
confused for Morgan Freeman? No. Quite often. <laughs> so um, it's really actual error for the trial court to admit to or refuse to admit walk and turn results because of alleged deficient instruction or whatever. That goes to the weight, not to the credibility that comes in. So sort of the same thing with the OLS, Tane. Tell the people what OLS is. The one-leg stand test. Everybody's favorite. So there's two stages. You get some instructions, and then you have to raise your foot and look at it and count. Um, count by thousands. I have only done that when I was a child and when I saw a DUI video. <laughs> One, one thousand, two, one thousand, three, one. You usually do Mississippis. One Mississippi. That was when you had to rush the quarterback. Yeah, you had exactly. to get five You'd Mississippi before you could rush. And yet, if you don't count it like that, that's a clue. It is a clue. Yeah. Failing to follow the instructions on either one of these is a yeah. clue. Yeah. Um, stops, sways, balances, raises arms, puts arms down, puts foot down. All those things are hopping are, during the test. Hopping. Yeah. Um, Again, they're looking for those clues. There's about six of them, I think, on the one-leg stand. Again, it's one of those that doesn't sub – it's not subject to Daubert, at least under federal case law and under the old Harper law. It wasn't because it wasn't a scientific test. I'm hopeful that that will be very, resolved very quickly, that walk and turn and OLS are not subject to Daubert. They should be. HGN is subject to Daubert. Now, Horizontal gaze nystagmus. Everyone's favorite. Yeah, it is. I love it. And you've always look, seen that. Look at this pen, Ben. <laughs> exactly. Follow it as I yeah, move it back and forth. A pen or other stimulus. But don't move your head. And you kind of point the, kind of point a flashlight at them, but not right at them so you can right. see it at night. It's, it's a whole thing. Yeah. I'll tell you, if you've ever had the opportunity to participate in field sobriety testing, the, the state patrol does How many a, opportunities have your local police given you to do that? <laughs> to, to be honest with you, none locally. Um, so the state patrol does let judges attend field sobriety training. It is amazing when you see it, yeah, it happening. It it, it's, it, and then you get a intox reading of that because they get other officers to drink. It's a tough job. Somebody's got to do it. Yeah, somebody's got to do it. And so they get them. They, you just, the the one-leg stand, they might be able to, to master. The the walk and turn, they might be able to. Your eyes, the eyes don't lie, as they say. I mean, the hips, it's hips obvious. No, oh, it's hips don't lie. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> um, basically, when you talk about nystagmus, that's where they move the pen to sort of your maximum level where your eyes not can't see anymore. Maximum deviation. And then they see if your eye jerks or if there's smooth pursuit. Now, some of the things they do, Tang, because this is serious, there are some people that can't do an HGN. If they've had a traumatic brain injury, if they had certain uh, uh, diseases, I guess, that, that, involve, that have mental incapacity issues, you, they... HGN's useless because they can't track if you have smoothly. seizures or something, you can't yeah. do that. And they test for that, and they ask for that. And so, and again, the whole thing with do you wear glasses, do you wear contacts, they ask that for a reason. All of these uh, evaluations are supposed to be preceded by a medical qualification. Have you had any injuries to your legs or your back such that you can't do the walk and turn or the wind leg stand? And for the HGN, yeah, you've got to ask uh, if you've had any uh, injuries to the brain. Um, they look at the pupils and see if they're equal. If they're not, that, that's evidence of maybe past trauma. Going too fast, going too slow, all of those things can cause an HGN test to not be done as 
it was prescribed and that makes it not a standardized test. Therefore, it has to be thrown out if you don't. It, now, if it's substantial, I mean, if you substantially did it the same way, that's fine. If you go extremely slow, extremely fast, that's different. Now, there is a really cool test. I don't know if you ever see, did you see many vertical yes. gaze nystagmus? They use vertical nystagmus to uh, look for uh, uh, marijuana and other drugs. And, and then they did the eye convergence test, too. Where now that's the craziest thing, Tane. I was there for one of those in a ride along situation. No, I wasn't there, wasn't smoking. Right. The officer, you, did you know that your eyes won't cross if you're high? No. I, I, I thought they were kidding. And I watched him. He, he basically did the sort of HGN setup, but instead of going horizontal or vertical, he went circular. And he tells the person, I'm not going to touch you, but I'm going to get really close to you. And he comes right at his nose. And as the eyes converge, there gets to a point where they right where they need to cross, truly uh -huh. cross. They go doink, and they go outward, oh, and, wow. and then they recenter. It's the craziest looking thing you've ever seen. And if you ever see it, um, it's kind of tough to really say, "Hey, I know you're smoking weed. Come here and do a test for me, right quick." <laughs> it's really hard to to put that on YouTube, but it is also that that is not has been that is not the the same level of. Uh, standardized field sobriety tests that HGN and VGN are. If done okay. correctly, they are absolutely admissible. That is going to require Daubert. There's a lot. There was some Georgia case law that's under Harper that had said that that has now been widely found to be a scientific test. You don't have to do it every time. There's some federal case law that has said that's true, also true under Daubert. I just haven't found any that would be 11th Circuit or local, so we may have to fight that battle at least for a little while. Yeah. Um, and then the the we have in our outline all of the law that is relevant that the, what the judge should consider when deciding whether or not to uh, allow the HGN results, the VGN results, etc. And, and to let me be just admitted. let me just say one thing because hopefully that person is out there. Uh, if you're the first judge to do the Daubert test on July second, yeah, for HGN on on these tests on July second, please use the right language and please get this out. And yeah, just, get this, I mean, get we got this, it for it's free. A, it's at GoodJudgePod.com. Just Anytime pull it out. You want it. Just copy it. Um, now, Tane, there are some tests that are considered quote field sobriety tests that aren't standardized field sobriety tests uh, we don't we'll probably not go back to the jump rope example right um yeah there's the romberg, romberg test, all right now you've actually test. seen this you just didn't you probably didn't know what it was called yeah um basically you're told to lay your head back with your eyes closed estimate 30 seconds raise your head and tell me done or time or whatever yeah you've seen that haven't yeah, you? yeah sure well they've said nah I mean, even under Harper, no, nah, there's not enough science to prove that that's a valid test. Yeah, because what they're looking for, actually looking for is tremors in the eyelids while you're doing that. Yeah, you'll see that. I was like, I was looking for the person to fall backwards and <laughs> yeah. hit their head as I was, was normally for, looking for. <laughs> a reverse somersault. Yeah. Um, they Actually, they said that the Supreme Court said that meeting the requirements of Harper is extremely unlikely. If that's true, they're definitely not going to meet the requirements of Daubert. Right. Um, eye convergence test. We talked about that. That is the coolest test you'll ever see yeah. if you can see it. Now, the ALCA sensor, we've talked about that. I, I, don't, I don't call that a standardized field sobriety test. Do you? No. This, that, the SS, SFSTs refers to that unique series of three. Yeah. That's what's NHTSA approved. The ALCA sensor is, is like 
D'Artagnan to the Three Musketeers. <laughs> wow. wow that went yeah, I didn't see where that was going at all. Didn't see it coming. Part of the group, but he's not one of the three. Right. The yeah. Alka-Sensor's part of the group, but not one of the three. Nice. Yeah, wow. Um, and we've talked about the Alka-Sensor. Is admissible, positive or negative, just not the numeric that shows up? It's the fifth beetle. <laughs> anyway. The post-arrest testing. Now, post-arrest testing, I, under 392, they identify the post-arrest testing. And I, and I, I don't want to get too far down this rabbit hole because I think we can wind up in the weeds here, Tane. The, the procedures are statutory. Right. And who can test and, and you have to follow DOFS guidelines, all of that. If it doesn't happen, it ha it, it's inadmissible. But right. as you said, if, if the person goes for medical treatment and they do a, an evaluation of his or her blood and they find drugs or whatever. Right. That wasn't being done at the request of a law enforcement officer. Right. That's completely separate. There's no reading of implied consent that's required. Uh, no statutes that have to be complied with. There is this one uh, thing that the testing that's usually done for medical purposes at a hospital is different from the testing that they do at the state crime lab. So they actually have to do a little conversion of the number that they get at the, at the, at the ER to, to come up with the number that the statute talks yeah, about. Yeah, I can tell you in, in civil cases, when people went to the hospital after an automobile accident, the first thing I did was go for the <laughs> go for the toxicology results that the hospital provided just to see, oh, is there any alcohol there, yeah. any drugs there, anything else? But but um, you can go to OCGA section 40-6-392 to see the parameters for the requirements for uh, the administration. Yeah, and I don't think it tests. would be, I mean, as much as, I mean. Reading law during a podcast is not awesome so true so when you read law about science it's even worse even worse yeah, yeah it's even worse so yeah. we're not going to read all the statutes but they that all of those all of that law is in the the outline and i think you want to avail yourself to it now if you get a breath test the intoxilizer 9000 is the current version Again, um, we're not talking about the uh, the Alco sensor. We're right. talking about the go down after arrest to the station and blow into the into the intoxilizer nine thousand. And then we got to a point. And I don't know if you experienced this, where everybody wanted to subpoena all of the records from Kentucky, where the place oh, was yeah. that made the intoxilizer. Oh yeah. So and a and million years ago, um, I was involved as the lawyer in a civil case for the GBI because an enterprising young DUI lawyer sued the director of this lab of the CMI? GBI yeah. to go oh, DOFS. To, to go out to California to depose the makers of, at that time, the Intoxilizer 3000. Yes so that they could find out about the workings of it and try to pick it apart. Is that it. the one that they talked about, the Taguchi cell? The Taguchi cell. Yes. That, that was it. That is that exactly it. what it was. Oh my they God. were disabling the Taguchi cell oh, in the Georgia just, machines. And oh, they yeah. ultimately decided that, that, yes, that did make a difference. Yeah. Yes. And so, yeah, your, your boy right here was involved in some of that litigation. That's all your fault? Yeah, yeah the Taguchi ago. cell is your fault. That had actually already happened by the time I got involved, but yeah. Anyway. Um, all that inspection certificates that are required by the statute, you don't have to bring all those people that perform the test, the certification. You just have to perform. You have to bring the certificate, and there's a whole – those aren't testimonials, so you don't have a Crawford problem. So any of you who are required to lay that foundation to get a breath test admitted, you can, you can refer to the outline. We've got what you needed uh, there. 
This episode's already too long. We're not going to talk about Taguchi sales. We're not going to talk about all that <laughs> stuff. Yeah, I know, right? Um, just understand that there are procedures. There are statutory. Follow the statute, and all of those are referenced in the episode notes. So, Tane, as always, let's recap what we've learned today as we put on our sweater and our, take yeah. off our tennis shoes. Exactly. Not all the tests that can prove that a person is intoxicated is an admissible field sobriety test. That's right. And and also remember the passage of House Bill uh, 478, which I- now imposes a Daubert standard in criminal cases as well as civil, um, is going to be very impactful on the admission of evidence in all criminal cases, but particularly in DUI cases. And we'll just have to stand by to see how that uh, pans out. There are some SFSTs, in fact, two out of three, that are considered non-scientific tests. The walk and turn, the one-legged stand, those are admissible despite the relevant standard for expert testimony. But the HGN test is a scientific test, does require uh, expert testimony. The officer administering the test can be qualified as that necessary expert to have the evidence submitted. But the foundation must be laid as to that officer's training, education, and experience. As always, this episode outline can be found at Good Judge goodjudgepod.com. Do you think we're saying that enough now? No. What? Goodjudgepod.com? You can never, yeah, you can never say goodjudgepod.com too many times. I'm not sure there's a maximum limit. Say it three times fast. Goodjudgepod.com, goodjudgepod.com, goodjudgepod.com. That, that could, could be, be a field sobriety test. test. With your eyes closed and like a penny in each hand or something. And, and you're lifting one leg. <laughs> um, there is some very valuable information and citations to the end notes here, especially if you have a complicated case that's in the weeds on field sobriety testing. I really, I really highly recommend it. Please follow us on the Good Judgment Podcast on your favorite platform and like us because it helps others find our work. Well, I'm Wade Padgett. I'm guest host Ben Studdard. And I'm Tane Kell. Let's go jump some rope or something. Thank you for listening to the Good Judgment Podcast. We try to give you actionable information in a format that does not make you want to jump in the creek. Two thoughts on that. One, some topics allow us to be a, have a little more room to have fun. But number two, if we failed you, we'll do our best to do it better next time. We know that you have lots of choices, and we're honored that you chose to spend this time with us. We're kind of amazed, to be totally honest. This podcast began as a project that was initially the brainchild of Doug Ashworth, the former executive director of ICJE. Thanks and appreciation to Mr. Hinnerberger and the entire University of Georgia College of Law. Thanks to Mr. Stephen Turner and his company, Turner Up Media, who helped to edit out some of our stupidity and awkwardness, but hey, nobody can get it all. Thanks to our unsung hero, Mr. Kevin Holder. You are instrumental in our podcast being published and made available to the public. We should have been singing your praises since we started this thing, but we didn't, so... Wade and I are eternally grateful to the Council of Superior Court Judges who allow us to lead new judge orientation for the Superior Court Judges across Georgia. Tane and I are also very grateful to the State Justice Institute who have been instrumental in our success in that they have provided grants to help us get this product to you. You know these are our opinions and do not reflect the opinions of ICJE, CSCJ, SJI, or the University of Georgia College of Law, or anyone else for that matter. Contact us at goodjudgepod at gmail.com for any praise. Contact somebody else for any complaints. But seriously, we would love your feedback, both good and bad. Send any comments to goodjudgepod at gmail.com. But seriously, send the bad comments to Wade. Visit our website, goodjudgepod.com, for all of our episode outlines, 
and more details about our podcast. Some of you send emails asking for copies of these outlines. These outlines are available 24-7, 365 at the website goodjudgepod.com. You can upload them, download them, or otherwise use them as you wish and on your schedule. Once again, I'm Wade Padgett. And as always, I'm Tane Kell. Thanks for listening. Tane, I guess it's time to bang the gavel on this episode. Any last thoughts before we wrap this up? Darius Rucker doesn't even look like he would be named Hootie. <laughs>